the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, August the 5th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on August 5, 1974, the White House released transcripts of a subpoenaed tape recording showed that President Richard Nixon and his chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, had discussed a plan back in June of 1972 to use the CIA to thwart the FBI's Watergate investigation revelation of a tape it all it all came down to nixon's resignation today 1914 what's believed to be the first electric traffic light system was installed in cleveland ohio was at the intersection of east 105th street and euclid avenue today 1953 operation big switch began they uh, the remaining prisoners taken from the korean war were exchanged at panmunjom Today in 1962, movie star Marilyn Monroe, she was 36 years old. She was found dead in her Los Angeles home. Her death was ruled as a probable suicide from acute barbiturate poisoning. Some people at the time and still feel that she had some assistance in her overdose. Today in 1964, U.S. Navy pilot Everett Alvarez Jr. He became the first American flyer to be shot down and captured by the North Vietnamese. He was held prisoner until 1973. Long time. Today in 2002, a coral-encrusted gun turret was found. It was from the Civil War ironclad USS Monitor. It was raised from the floor of the Atlantic 140 years after the historic warship had sunk during a storm. And 10 years ago today, the Senate confirmed Elena Kagan, 63 to 37, as the Supreme Court's 112th justice, fourth woman in its history. She's extremely liberal. She's an activist. So is Sotomayor, both Obama appointees. And British Petroleum finished pumping cement into that today, 10 years ago, into that blowing deepwater horizon oil well in the Gulf of Mexico. Remember all that? There were people running around, environmentalists, Al Gore and others, saying that the Gulf of Mexico would never, ever recover. That was 10 years ago today. It has recovered, and by even by liberals, liberals' estimation that live in the area, they say, yeah, it's pretty much normal, and it has been for a number of years. The environment is more, is less fragile. It's more resistant than a lot of these environmentalists think. They run around trying to, they feel that they are the kind of the salvation for everything, including the environment. But the way God made things, they have a, including the environment, it has a way of kind of reconstituting itself. And we never take that into consideration. One year ago today, the U.S. Treasury Department labeled China a currency manipulator after China had pushed down the value of its yuan in an escalating trade conflict with the United States. Of course, they were trying to beat beat the dollar. Well, Washington State, 
at their primary election yesterday. Seattle Times says this morning, Governor Jay Inslee coasted to an easy first-place finish in the August 4 primary Tuesday with small-town police chief Lauren Culp running a distant second, but well ahead of all the other Republican challengers. They put out an article this morning that it, this is very early. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything except this is what they counted through last night. But in Tuesday's count of the vote, Inslee took 52% to lead the 36-candidate primary field, but Culp, and they like to refer to him as a small-town police chief, he is a, it is a small town. But anyway, he receives, he's a good guy, I like him. Culp received about 17% with initiative sponsor Tim Iman and former Bothell Mayor Joshua Freed, about 7%. And again, this is just one day's county. Yakima physician Raul Garcia took 5%. State Senator Phil Fortunato from Auburn, he took uh, 4%. Hundreds of thousands more ballots remain to be counted obviously. But one observation that they made is that uh, somebody, I think it was Danny uh, Westeat at the at the uh, Seattle Times this morning, he observed, he's a liberal, they all are, but I mean a few, maybe one or two that I know of are moderate perhaps. But anyway, he said, he observed this morning that um, this election proved or affirmed that the blue in Washington State is getting bluer and the red is getting redder. Well, there's reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think most of us know that. Seattle Times also noted that Washington State has not elected a Republican governor since, do you remember the last Republican governor? John Spillman, 1980. It's a couple of years ago or more. It's been a while. When Dino Rossi couldn't get elected, I began to question if any Republican would ever be elected again. I don't know. And if they were, would they really be a Republican? But that's a discussion for another for another day. In Scripture, there's a pattern throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, that talks about being on God's side on issues. And they talk about just a number of verses. We could spend 30 minutes on this or or more, an hour. But being on God's side or God being on your side, and that becomes a divisive question or a divisive conversation in today's culture because the people that are taking this culture down the tubes to hell in a handbasket, the Joe Bidens, the Nancy Pelosi's, who on the one hand claim to be deeply religious, devout Catholics, etc., etc., are the ones that are leading the charge, and they're just two of the more prominent ones, but they're all in Hillary Clinton, the whole bunch. Whether they're Methodist, Catholic, it doesn't matter. They all claim a, a, a form of Christianity, but their policy and their rule and their powerful people, or in Hillary's case has been, and they're taking this country down the path of abortion, gay marriage, honoring sexual deviance and all this kind of thing. And yet, at the same time, they're kind of carrying this Christian flag over their shoulder to be sure that everybody knows 
that they're devout Christians. It cannot, you, you cannot honestly, intellectually, honestly, put all that together because Christianity is not just a belief system. It's not an ideology. It's a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, we come to a point where there is a, there is, we have to, we have to face the truth of the matter and we have to ask ourselves, is God, are we on God's side as opposed to, is God on our side? And I think that's some of the things that we're facing today in our culture. It's unsaid, but it's felt on many fronts. For example, in Exodus chapter 23, the Bible says, But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thy adversaries. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9, he said, the Bible says, He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. And in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, and this is just a sample of a lot of verses, that that's, there's a thread through the Bible that talks about God being on the side of those who follow him and they being on God's side and so on. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Just prior to the Civil War, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln, he was giving a speech, and the nation was headed into what would be the most deadly, the most bloody, the most costly, personally, war in our history, the Civil War. And it was fought not over territory, it was fought over a biblical principle, slavery. Abraham Lincoln and those who supported him and followed him said, this is not biblical, it is not right, and we will fight to the death to abolish it. And they did. He did. He lost his life, basically, because of his stand against abortion. But somebody asked him at a speech just before the Civil War got underway and everybody knew it was coming. Somebody asked him, and they were concerned. They said, Mr. Lincoln, President Lincoln, do you believe in your heart that God is on our side? And Lincoln responded, and he said, you know, that's not the question. He said, the question is always, are we on God's side? I think we need to ask ourselves that question today in our culture. Churches across America are under attack on many fronts. State and local governments have hijacked this China virus this pandemic, are they using it to prevent Christians from congregating for worship? God instituted government for the purpose of restraining and publishing evil, in Romans chapter 13. But he also commanded his people not to forsake the assembling of themselves together, Hebrews chapter 10. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. I want, I want to look at this honestly. I know it's a sensitive subject. But I don't want to take a look at it. I think it's time. Several pastors have called me. One of them, in fact, 
set me up on a conference call. I, I don't know how many pastors I've talked to. There were a bunch of them in their church denomination. It was a main mainline church denomination. Don't know if they agreed or not with what I said, but they asked me to share some thoughts with them here. Just uh, It's been a little while back, but not too long ago. A couple of other pastors have asked, what do you think? Not asking me for guidance, but just what do you think? So I want to tell you what I think. And I thought, well, we'll talk about this on the radio because I think we're reaching a critical point on this whole matter of the churches being shut down. I understand the full breadth of it, but let's talk about that for a few moments. I got an email this morning from someone who supports the ministry or just has started supporting the ministry, actually. And he from Bothell, he said, he said, hey, he said, man, I've been listening to your program. Really like it. He said, I haven't written a Excuse me. He said, I haven't written a check for 20 years. He said, I didn't know I could I could donate to your program online until I figured it out finally. And so he, he said, I'm sending a donation. Keep up the good work. Some very encouraging words from him. But he said, would you please get on your program and tell people they can donate online? He said, I didn't know that. And he said, so I've been listening to you and thinking I'd like to support you. And I really believe in what you're doing. But he said, I didn't know I could donate online. So I am. I wrote a quick email back to him. It was earlier this morning. I said, yeah, I, absolutely, I'll mention it. And I'm doing so. It, you, can, you can donate online. You can just go to faithandfreedom.us. And the first thing that will come up is the article that I write every day. It's called Faith and Freedom Daily. And you'll see that. And on that fr- front page, on that first page, just look for a tab that says donate. And you just follow it and and a lot more and more people are doing that. Uh, they're they're donating online, but you can also send checks, and many of you are, to our address in Bellevue. And I would encourage you, however you make the con- contribution, to do so. We need it. We do. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. 009. And you can donate online. Go to faithandfreedom.us. Faithandfreedom.us. And you'll see the tab. Just find the tab. It says donate. In California, the state has banned Christian worship, as the state has in a number of other states, Washington, Oregon, elsewhere. We're finding, we're finding that the governments, the states, are banning church because it's visible, it affects a lot of people, and clearly, just looking at it at a glance, there's a lot of people sitting close together and so, hey, we can't let that happen because Dr. Fauci said so-and-so or whatever. And there is some, there is some validity in that because this disease is real. The virus is real. And people really do get it when they blow in each other's face. I mean, it just happens. It is contagious. I'm not a doctor, but I figured that out. I think most all of us have. So we have to look at this realistically. These are my thoughts. I'm not representing anybody here except myself. But we have to look at this realistically. California has banned worship of more than 100 people or 25% of the church's building capacity. There's variations of that in Washington State, Oregon, 
all across the country. I mean, it's a state-by-state thing. It just should be. It shouldn't be. And a lot of people are calling for a national policy now. They're just doing that to try to suggest that Trump hasn't done it. If he came out with a national policy on anything other than what's already fixed, he would be he would be criticized as trying to be a king. So he, he can't win. So forget all that. So it's state by state, and it's different in each state. But while governments are forcing Christians not to congregate and worship God together, we have to remember that we are to fear God, not man, Matthew chapter 10, and remember the words of the psalmist. Psalm 95, verses 1 and 6, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, in that instruction, and that's just a sampling. This isn't an isolated verse somewhere. In that sampling of Scripture, we get an idea of what God wants. And what God wants is, one, for us to take a stand, regardless of who the enemies are, and in some cases it is the state, of the Christian faith. We're not suffering like the Christians in China. They're being killed and their churches are being literally flattened on weekends, especially Sundays, hauled away or burned. We're not facing anything like that. But there is resistance to the gospel and there is resistance to the people of God. And we we need to understand that because it's there. Jesus spoke at length about the fact that the world will hate you because they hated me first. And he, he goes at length in that, and you've read the verses, I'm sure. So we've got to get that fixed in our mind, that Christianity is not like popular and everybody's trying to break down the door to be a real Christian. They're breaking down the door to claim to be Christian because they think there's some advantage in that. Biden is doing that in this campaign. Hillary Clinton is famous for it. Bill Clinton, they all, they're all... Um, I mean, they all want to identify because there's a lot of people that really are Christians in America. So all that's going on out there. But I'm talking about people who are committed to Jesus Christ and are living according to his word as best they can and asking for God's Holy Spirit to help them each day. Evangelicals, call it what you want. But that is what we're talking about here, the body of Christ. And in that context, what are we to do? Several pastors are bringing it to the forefront. They're making a public issue out of it. At what point do Christians and Christian leaders cut the cord with compliance and obey God's law rather than man's and open their churches for public services? What if people come and a bunch of them get sick? I mean, all those questions are real. Many have said, yes, we have an obligation to obey the civil magistrate, Romans 13, For conscience sake, while others say no, under the First Amendment and biblical instruction, our ultimate loyalty must be to Jesus, not the state. That's true. Are Christians being good citizens by complying with the state's attempt to protect the welfare of the citizenry? Or do we exercise our freedom of conscience and embrace biblical instruction to not forsake gathering together, trusting that God will honor the decision? The church has never faced anything like this in America. Others have. They are now. Much worse than what we're facing. But I'm talking about America. In Rome, in about 58 AD, Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter 13, 
He reminded them that although they were oppressed by Roman rule, and certainly they were, they were burned as candles, burned, lighted, hung along the street, Christians, because they were Christians. They were hated by the Roman ruler. But Paul wrote at that time, the civil magistrate was ordained by God. But at the same time, Jesus teaches that we must render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. But our ultimate loyalty must be to God, not Caesar. Mark chapter 12. In the book of Acts, the apostles Peter and John, they recognize the limits of compliance. I think it's important that we refresh our memory. When told to cease preaching the gospel, the apostles replied, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 4.20 And they said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 The question that has risen within the church during this COVID-19 era is the idea of compliance. Is the state singling out Christian churches? That's a question that should be asked, and the immediate answer is, no, not really. No, not really. They're not, because they're shutting down all, all of these different... Well, not really. Not really. Is the state preventing us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively? Are they inhibited, inhibiting the activity and the effectiveness of the church of Jesus Christ? Because that is the ultimate question. On the surface, the quick answer would be no regarding the gatherings, because, as I said, it applies to all the gatherings. Man, they can't, we can't have baseball games and all that kind of thing with people. But yet, the state does not apply that equally. The state has chosen the church to comply and other things as well. But while thousands gather inches from one another, chanting slogans, demanding streets, demanding in the streets of our cities, night after night, to advance an agenda that celebrates abortion, LGBTQ, and a number of other agendas, and that is what Black Lives Matter represents, the organization. I think there's misinformed people running up and down the streets of America, even breaking windows and burning things. They don't even know what they're doing, but they think they're somehow standing up for blacks. They're standing up for the organization of Black Lives Matter, and the organization of Black Lives Matter was created by two women who say in their own words they were we are marxist trained we know how to do this stuff those are their words but the state expresses no concern no demand for compliance to the rules the media doesn't even mention it the media comes on and i talked about this several times including yesterday on this program the media comes on day in and day out and they start their they start their reports with well it was the protests were Mostly, mostly quiet. They were mostly peaceful. They're not mostly peaceful. There are moments of peace, but they're not. It, everybody on this planet knows it if they're paying attention. They simply don't want you to think that these are anything but peaceful First Amendment little get-togethers. That's hypocrisy, and it runs deep. The funeral of Representative John Lewis this last week, well known for his advocacy, a black man. He knew when he was young, he knew Martin Luther King Jr. He marched in the marches there and over that over the bridge and so on. He has a great history. 
highly respected among many, black and white. But also, his funeral became a bit of hypocrisy. Columnist Cal Thomas, who's the most syndicated columnist in America, he noted yesterday that, quote, tradition was discarded during John Lewis's funeral last week in Atlanta. He said that because Barack Obama gave the eulogy and Barack Obama turned it into a political rally. It wasn't really about John Lewis's life. It was about what he said John Lewis believed in, and then he took it from there. And he railed on the president. He railed on America. He did what he did when he was president. In, a, in addition, current church mandates for gathering have been discarded as well. Cal's point was that Speaker Barack Obama turned the funeral into a political rally. My point is that the church was filled with people sitting shoulder to shoulder, expressing joy and sorrow and singing and responding to Obama's political speech. This week it crossed America, and nobody said anything. And the place was full. And I watched very carefully when I saw shots, video shots of the crowd. They weren't wearing masks. They were singing and clapping and crying and doing what people do when you celebrate someone's life and grieve their loss, which is fine. It's good. But that was also hypocritical because there are congregations all across America that want to celebrate the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the joy of the Lord. And they can't even come together without fearing punishment. Last week, Tennessee Pastor Greg Locke, he said, I would rather go to jail than go to church. We're having services. In July, three California churches sued uh, Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom for singling out houses of worship, Calvary Chapel in Ukiah, uh, Calvary Chapel in Fort Bragg, and a church called River of Life Church. I'm not sure where that's located, but they filed a lawsuit. Newsom has said publicly there's a difference Here's how he describes what he's doing. He said there's a difference between the demonstrators and the church. He said, we have a constitution. We have a right to free speech. And we're all dealing with the moment in our nation's history that is profound and pronounced. But that doesn't mean we set aside the the constitution. The, The First Amendment is about religion. John MacArthur came out, pastors a huge church in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. He says, we're no longer going to keep our church closed. He said, we, the pastors and elders of Grace Community Church, respectfully inform our civic leaders that they have exceeded their legitimate jurisdiction and faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions they want to impose on our corporate worship services. They have threatened to turn off his power. They have made other threats to even arrest MacArthur, And he said, so be it. He said, we have prayed through on this thing. I'll tell you what I think. And I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says. But I agree with Grace Community, his church, he and the elders' decision. I think every possible consideration needs to be made for the elderly and all of that. But I think it's time to rethink this compliance to the state. Because the state has mixed agendas, depending on where and whom. But pastors and church leaders are at a point where I believe they're going to have to make some decisions. And the first decision has to be, will continued compliance be disobedience to the Lord's commands? 
We'll think about that, and thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. I'll see you right here tomorrow.